Incorporating AI into your business can be a delicate balance between speed and intelligence. That's why you might want to consider the Claude 3 family models from Anthropic for your enterprise AI. Haiku is their light and fast model, Opus is their most powerful model capable of high order thinking, and Sonnet is the best combination of both speed and intelligence. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. everyone from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. Happy 4th of July to everyone. This is On with Kara Swisher and I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Naeem Araza. Happy 4th, Kara. Where are you spending the weekend? I'm going to Vermont. Amanda's family has a place there they've had for decades. And there's a town called Peachum that has a, a tractor thing. And lots of tractors through town. And That sounds like your kind of town. Yeah, it's a really traditional, very beautiful place. I'll be at the beach. Mm-hmm. And a very nice... Fourth of July with barbecues. Yeah. I saw. I showed you the house. Yeah, it looks lovely. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been out there in a long time to the Hamptons. I don't actually like the no, Hamptons. I, I never go to say. the Hamptons. It's just approximate beach. But you know yeah. what? Grateful to my host. Thank you for having me out. Happy Fourth of July. So today we get to give ourselves a wee bit of rest. We're going to play an episode that we aired in January. It's one where I interview you, Kara, about your long tango with a certain tech titan who you met when. He had a business card that said, I'm CEO, bitch, mm-hmm. a Mark Zuckerberg original. Yeah, I have that card somewhere in one of my piles. Um, it was a long time ago. I think he's certainly matured from that. Um, he did a lot of stuff back then that was kind of silly. Um, and, you know, just typical of a young person trying to dominate people when they didn't have any leverage whatsoever. You've always made the point that Mark is unfireable, that he mm-hmm. owns 90% of the Class B shares, and that makes him kind of omnipotent. But one of the most interesting moments you've had in conversation in your many interviews with Mark was Cambridge Analytica. When you asked him basically who would get fired for this, and he said, well, it would be me. Mm-hmm. Should someone have been fired for this? You know, I asked Cheryl this. I'm just curious if you what you think. Well, I think it's a big issue, but look, I designed the platform. Mm-hmm. So if someone's going to get fired for this, it should be me. And I think that the important thing going forward is to make sure that we get this right. But to be clear, you're not going to fire yourself right now? Is that right? Not on this podcast Okay, all right. right That would be fantastic. (laughs) Um, uh, I mean, I think you'll do okay. Um, So let's get to the the, the privacy and data part of it. One of the things you kept saying in Congress, which really drove me crazy because you said it like, I counted Do you really want me to fire myself right now? Sure. Uh, It's fine. Just for the news? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Yeah, why not? It was more of a joke, but 
uh, I wanted to get to make two points that he couldn't be fired and two, nobody is accountable. And that was another part of the problems with the company is that accountability was not, no one got fired. No one got fired ever for anything that happened there. And of course, other companies, you get fired very quickly. You're not even a fall guy. Yeah, because what he wants to do, because he's the emperor of the company. And so he can do whatever he wants to do, which is how he set it up. So, so, so does this emperor him... have clothes or not? Yes, of course. Oh, it's an amazing business. He's built an amazing business, 100%. Great advertising business. Yeah, he's a skilled business person. Not everybody makes the jump from startup to uh, you know, a really significant CEO. And I think Gates is the comparable to him that mm -hmm. he did from the beginning. And also it's similar juvenile behavior at the beginning of their careers. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it's really an achievement of what he's built. The question is, would he have been able to do if there were real laws in place around privacy and data and everything else? But there weren't. So there we are. Well, we're going to play more moments of you interviewing Mark over the years in the course of this episode that you're about to hear. But it's been a while since you've interviewed Mark. Yeah. Years. A couple of years. Yeah. 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 Five years. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's yeah. Five-year uh, withdrawal symptoms. And it's been rough patch at Meta since you and I taped this conversation. There have been layoffs like so many other yeah. tech companies. Um, he's handled them pretty well. Yeah, I thought so. He's not, you know, he's not a ridiculous um you know, hand waver like Elon Musk, for example, in terms of management. But, you know, they've had layoffs. They had the Francis Haugen stuff and then the metaverse thing didn't work out. They changed the whole name of the company. And now everyone was rushing towards AI. You know, the two areas he yes. rushed into sort of crypto and and uh, meta didn't quite work out. And, and he was caught flat footed in a lot of ways. They're, they're trying to get there, but and obviously they have a big business that could benefit from AI. Innovation has always been lacking at that company sure has. and has yeah. happened a lot through acquisition. And I wonder where there's hope for them anywhere. His headsets is somewhere where they were early to yeah. the VR market with Oculus. Yeah, I think the Oculus is a very good device. It's just a very small business, even though mm -hmm. they sell quite a few of them. You know, look at their meta stuff. It's not very, if you look at, compare the vision stuff with, with Oculus stuff and the meta stuff, it's like, it's like a nursery school versus like a serious designer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you look at like the the demo he did, it was so unappealing. And I thought a lot of the vision stuff, I don't know if any of this stuff is going to work, but Apple has the best chance of doing this. And it's just, it's not a particularly creative company. And that's just the way it is. What about this Twitter competitor that Meta has planned with the, this was leaked early in mm -hmm. June and it's the origin story of the Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg uh, cage fight plan, but it's a standalone app based on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it doesn't have that weird status feature, which three of my creepiest friends use. But. I don't know. I'm sure it'll be a copy of Twitter. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know. There's not many ways to innovate in this space. Um, but, you know, they don't, it's just not a new fresh idea. And there's a lot of competitors and it's still hard to start one. That said, this, whoever's running Instagram is doing a good job. You know, they've grown it. They've made it interesting. I love Instagram and you're back on it. Yes, I am only because I, I really hate Twitter. So, I mean, I, 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 I am grudgingly back on it, but it's okay. good for marketing. I'll, I'll be honest. That's the only reason I use most of these things is for marketing. Um, but we'll see what he does with this Twitter yeah. thing. There's an opening, so he should he should try to step into it. For photo, Facebook has always been ahead of the I feel like Facebook yeah, albums sure and then yes. Instagram, yes. Uh, you know, news and, and video are harder. But Elon responded to the tweet of photos of this Twitter competitor, which is rumored to be called Threads, so we don't know. Mm -hmm. He had an allergic reaction to it. He's had an allergic reaction to everything from Mastodon links to Substack mm -hmm. authors. He's mm -hmm. a very jealous boyfriend, it seems, that Elon. What do you think? It, it does 
does this matter? This fight with Twitter? Is this going to? Is oh, this going to be a small business? Is it going to be a big business? I don't. Who knows what he's doing over there at Twitter? He may just be trying to. Uh, who knows? Who knows? I think this whole social media space is imploding in a lot of ways. I think people have found other ways to express themselves, and I think this we're at a sort of a cusp. Something has to change really dramatically. I don't see great growth for any of these businesses. Yeah. Um, and I think it's sort of reached its peak point, and it's not. You know, it's got a something very good has to come along, and I think there's a real opportunity. Probably not from either of these people. Right. The thing that Elon has in his favor is everyone's sitting there and it works and it sucks. But, you know, it's sort of like a city that got shitty, but it's still a city, I guess, you know. And Mark, meanwhile, he's clearly in the midst of the rebrand. He's beefing up, doing the Murph challenge. Beefing up. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. There's been a lot of talk of the drugs of Silicon Valley in the last week, something mm-hmm. you had written about much earlier. Yeah. Does Mark strike you as different than the rest of the CEO crowd? He's not him. Right? Yeah, it's not. That's not his scene. He likes working out. He does. That's the other drug of Silicon Valley. Yeah, it is. Body hacking and working out. He loves that stuff. And he's actually become a very good fighter, whatever the jujitsu stuff. He, it's quite good. But he's like that. He's very dedicated. He's very intense and dedicated to like doing whatever his intensity is, whether it's reading a book a day. I remember that was one of his or one of the things like that or mm-hmm. going around the country. Um, he's not a partier. He's you know, he met his his wife in college. He's has kids. He's and you know, and then Jeff Bezos is off doing the yacht scene, and and Elon's doing the rave scene. Yes. You know, whatever. I'd prefer Mark over all of them in that. I regard. like how you see them all as Barbies. You're like, this yeah. is workout Barbie. <laughs> this is a party Barbie. <laughs> They're Barbies. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I mean, I'm, I find it, I find it overall very sad that they just can't just be themselves that they were when they started. But that's fine. Whatever. Money is a drug. That's really at the start of it, and that that's never going to change. Never going to change. Well, he's definitely in my list of top five people I'd like to bring back to the show. So Mark, come back. He's not coming back. But until he gets here, we will hear from you. We'll start with day one of the Kara and Mark situationship. Yes. Here's that old episode. Tell me about the first time you met Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, this is my book. You're getting to talk about my book, but um, I um, scoop yourself, scoop myself. Um, I was I, I was aware of it in the early 2000s, like when it started and started to get popular colleges. And it was one of many. There was MySpace. There was a there was a bunch of them. I can't even remember all their names, but there was a bunch. Um, some of them more popular than Facebook, but it was starting to gain traction on college campuses. So we started to pay attention to it. There was a PR person named Brandy Barker who was mm-hmm. very adamant that I come visit. Um, and uh, and Owen Van Otta, who I'd known from a- Amazon before that. He was at Amazon. He was at a bunch of places. But um, And he said... He, Explain who he, Owen was. He, he, was, was <laughs> he was an executive. And he was very adamant that I come in and meet him. You should meet him. You would like him, this and that. And so I finally went in to their... They had a headquarter in, Pal- in Palo Alto above Pizza My Heart. A lot of companies had been. That's mm-hmm. a popular pizza place. I remember in, that place. In, on University Avenue. And so I went and met him and I walked into the office and um, and one of the things I had talked to a bunch of venture capitalists and I, he sounded like an asshole, like, oh, another asshole. And I think I said that. I'm like, oh, he sounds like another asshole. Like there's so many of them, so many arrogant young mm-hmm. men. And I walked in and the first thing he said to me was, I heard you think I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> which I liked him for that. Yeah. Like he sort of, you know, and I he was like, so I said, elephant. yeah. And I said, well, I don't know you well enough to know if you're an asshole. I've heard you're an asshole or something like that. And, um, and, but I will find out, like, we'll find out if you're, he's not an asshole, actually. He's not, as it turns out, he did asshole things, but he certainly isn't an asshole as a person. 
Um, so anyway, so I we walked. We I think we walked around Palo Alto, and he was always super nervous around me. You kind of leaned into intimidating him because you've told no. me a story where you took his smoothie. Tell I I don't want to go on on about this story, but I he used to have these green smoothies, and I always asked for a sip, and I always want to see if he would let me have one. And so <laughs> did he? It was sort of yes, yes, always. He always let me have a sip. It was what funny. What were you doing with that? I don't. I like green smoothies, and I it was it was uh, I was doing it to. I guess I supposed to dominate him in some fact. I just yeah, was curious. A power move. Yeah. I, you know, if I had asked that of Steve Jobs, he'd have thrown a smoothie in my face, like that kind of thing. I would have never asked him. Um, but I don't know why. I was just, they have really good smoothies at Facebook, let me just say, all the Much time. Much more subtle than an I'm a CEO bitch. Yes. Yeah, it was. Card. It was interesting. He would give them to me. For, I would often try to knock him off his thing by asking him, you know, direct questions. And I think what had ha- started to happen by this time later, especially later when they moved into that big office building was people, you know, like I say this all the time, people are in violent agreement with him all the time. And mm. so he never got pushback. So I often, with all of them, I tried to say, no, that's, re-, you know, even if it was Sundar Pichai or around the immigration stuff with Trump, I'd say, why aren't you saying something? And I don't mm-hmm. think anyone had the audacity to to say something to these people about things. And I, I tended to like the firing thing, very typical. I'm like, you know, no one would have said that to him. And so that's why he was so, he didn't know what to think. What what do you, no one talks to me like this. And I was like, oh, sorry, I don't work for you. Yeah. And Facebook certainly started off small. I remember in this time, I mean, I was in college and Facebook Mm -hmm. was this thing that we were using. It was super, it seemed super safe. We were putting a lot of information on it and it was just college students, very gated. Mm -hmm. But then in 2005, they let on high school students. In 2006, they become an everyone app. Anyone with an email address can join. I think that's when I joined. Because you old, Kara. <laughs> not old. And then that I same wasn't year. in college. <laughs> you were not. And then that same year, in 2006, they lowered the age to 13, and they announced Newsfeed, which got a lot of privacy pushback. Um, or, I mean, not a lot compared to today, but a lot for then. And by 2009, they had the like button. Mm-hmm. You were there covering all of this. How did you look at these incremental experiments with a small startup? It was always a privacy nightmare. There was a thing called Beacon where they would tell people what you bought. Like it was so privacy problematic. It was so- They were moving was, fast and breaking things, right? Yes. Well, that's a software term. But yes, I was always fascinated by that term because it's a software term. But I was always thought, why wasn't it move fast and fix things, move fast and change things? Uh-huh. And they backed off you know, Beacon, but they got in trouble for it. They were always pushing the edge of privacy and much more so than others. That was what was interesting is that others certainly, Google was certainly a privacy, you know, sucking, you know, sucking all your privacy and information out, but they were explicit in doing it and ma- and making mistakes doing it. And so they would grab for any friggin' piece of information they could get from people and you could see it. And they were, they were sort of naked in their ambition uh-huh. to own all your privacy. And they would, couch it in this term of, you know, we want to build a community. But there was, it was a one-way street of information. It was we were giving you and you Facebook information and they were using it and they were making money off of it. It wasn't, AOL did the same thing. So did uh, Google, but it was much more explicit, much more. Well, you and uh, Walt Mossberg kind of glommed on to this privacy topic 
when Lomped, you yes, we glommed. <laughs> you glommed onto it. We were um, concerned about privacy yes. by this company because yeah. who who what did they do with it? Who were they? And when you saw the inside of these companies, it was chaotic. And so there was a very early war. There was people inside the company very early on looking at people's profiles. There, you know, same thing happened at Uber. But that was it. It's like, why do we trust these people with this enormous amount of personal information? Why do we? Uh, I don't. Um, but privacy was a subject that you and your partner, Walt Mossberg, kind of got into when you interviewed mm-hmm. Mark on stage in 2010. So this was at the All Things D conference. And Mark is literally sweating. Mm-hmm. Was it hot in there? No. Were the lights on in a... Well, no. He had a... I, would, I thought he had a panic attack. He said he was sick. It was very uncomfortable because he started sweating profusely. Yeah, and you noticed because you were sitting closer to him than Walt was. I was right um, next to him. You were right next to him. And and uh, he's wearing this hoodie. So you ask him if he wants to remove it. He says he never removes the hoodie. And then Walt jumps back into another privacy question. Let's play the clip. Before we move off this privacy thing, and I thought that was a fascinating right, it's answer. okay. You want to take off the hoodie? No, I never take off the hoodie. I know you don't. What's with that? There's a group of women in the audience that wish you would. And... No, no. Girls? Whoa. All right. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, can you explain what this instant personalization mm. thing was that you did and why you did it and what was the, what's the value of it to your users? Maybe I should take off the hoodie. Take off the hoodie. Go ahead. You want what to? Uh-huh. Go ahead. <laughs> Here. Let me get someone. Oh. You all right? Yeah. This is a great moment in internet history. What? You went on to see inside the hoodie was the, like, yeah. the Illuminati symbol. Yeah, it was a symbol. that I have that hoodie. I have that hoodie. Yeah, because Brandy Barker about. gave you a... Yes, one of them. Yeah. Um, it, it was really awkward. I think Walt could not see what was happening. The sweat was really dropping. And the, when I said the ladies in the audience, Cheryl Sandberg was in the front row losing her mind. I could see her, you know, right there. <laughs> um, and she she knew what was happening, and so did I. It was super awkward because mm-hmm. he was sweating so, so, so much. And I was worried he was going to faint, honestly. I thought he, he was going to faint. Um, surprising because you and Walt have said that Cheryl told you he was ready for the privacy question. He told me he was ready. You know, we had talked about the movie, uh, the, the Social Network, that mm-hmm. night before at dinner. Um, I, I think I had introduced him to Steve Jobs, or he had, they had sat and talked. And so he had, and he had answered lots of questions about privacy. So it wasn't the questions. We were not in the hot seat and suddenly he couldn't, oh, can you believe it? He was, he was either ill or he, he had had panic attacks I had heard previously. And I think he was so nervous. He just started sweating and, um, for whatever reason, and he, he would not take off this, the hoodie and it just, it became, it was uncomfortable for him yeah. and us. And one of the things I did there, especially making the joke about the hoodie was trying to relieve his tension. Cause there's no way I want someone like him to be uncomfortable on stage no. in that way. And he was, um, he was in a state of distress and I thought it was, I thought it wasn't good for us to keep pressing him when he was, and we wanted him to calm down. And by the way, I have to say he did. He calmed down and he had a great interview afterwards. And we gave him that moment instead of pressing on him. And he wrote us a, a lovely letter afterwards. Uh, what saying, did he say? No, you know, he he was, you know, sorry. That was fun. You know, it was so, it got so much attention. Um, and he was, um, he was just like very cordial. Lights, but it wasn't. It did. It, there wasn't. Nobody else had a problem. And um, and so he, he wrote us a lovely letter saying, I'm really sorry. And 
thank you so much. Just, he was always cordial. He never, but he never did an interview with us again. I'll tell you that. That's the other thing is- Not the two just, of you together. Uh, right. I mean, he did one with me, but he didn't, he wouldn't come to code again. And that was, mm. he had been twice or two or three times at least. And so um, it was, uh, it was unfortunate. Uh, I, I, yeah. I don't think that was a, I know I get a lot of attention for that, but I don't feel great about that interview because I feel bad when someone, anyone is in distress like that. And he was in physical distress and yeah. you don't and want that you to don't. Yeah, especially not when you're interviewing someone. You want someone to be comfortable so they can tell you. Yeah. They can talk yeah. to you. Yeah, he was so embarrassed, too. He was so embarrassed. And he shouldn't have been at all, but he was. And I could see why. By the time you did that interview, Mark had a big company. You know, it wasn't this small startup. In 2008, he hired Sheryl Sandberg away from Google. I think you broke that I story. I did break that story. Mm-hmm. Um, was hiring Sheryl, she was seen as an adult in the room. Yeah, so, I hate that I know. idea, but... Whatever. Was hiring Cheryl a turning point for Facebook? Did it show that he wanted to kind of open up yes. decision-making and want adults in the room? Well, he wanted them to decide on things he wasn't interested in, which is the thing that made money, right? And that's the similar thing that happened at Google with Eric Schmidt. And Cheryl was an experienced ad executive, and that was critically important. At, at Google, she was running their one of their big ad systems. And so she needed that. The other thing is he had been through a series of, of COOs, and including Woe and Van Ada and many others, that just didn't work. And they kept getting fired. It looked like chaos. And he was not capable of handling that, that part of it, especially the smoother part. Um, cause he just, you know, he just wasn't, he just, he's an awkward personality at the time. He's much better now. Um, and so, uh, he brought her in. It was a smart, and they got along really well. Um, and she really did grow Facebook's ad business. She did. It was crazy what she did there. And they got along very well. They had almost, um, I would say an older sister, younger brother kind of thing in a lot of weird ways. Hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't, you know, they became personally close, especially after Cheryl's husband, who was a very good friend of mine died. Dave Goldberg. Um, Dave Goldberg. And so she was very good. They got along, you know, and she took off his plate the stuff he hated um, and sort of was the smooth operator kind of personality. I wouldn't say an adult because I think that's the problem. I hate this idea of these people aren't adults. They're total adults. Um, And so I hate that they're like, oh, the boys now have a mom, like a a Wendy and the lost boys. I can't stand that. But I think they they take advantage of that. Oh, they, they stole all your stuff. Oh, they're just boys, you know. That was irritating to me. Did she have sway with him? Because at the time, he also had these outside advisors. Peter Thiel was kind of the first money in, first big money in. Yeah, Mark Andreessen. Bill Gates Gates. was close to him. Microsoft Mm -hmm. put in a big stake in 2007. So did did Cheryl have kind of equal clout to him? Yes. Versus these advisors? Oh, for a long time. A hundred percent. Yeah, she was, I think, his principal advisor, I I would say. You know, he, he always, you know, had these... Other people like Peter, Mark Andreessen, Bill Gates, you know, who influenced him, lots of people. Yeah. But I think she and he were a real unit for a very long time. They did a lot of stuff together. Uh, He put her up. That was one of the things. He wasn't like a lot of men. He wasn't, uh, he didn't have a problem putting a strong woman in charge kind of thing. Yeah, and putting her in front Um, of people. Compare him to Elon, because you've talked about how Elon surrounded himself with people kind of licking him up and down. And Elon seems to be. He didn't. He didn't. Like, did he allow other people to disagree with him at this time? It was different because he he had people around him that agreed with him. That's all. Okay. And that was the problem. They all have this problem, as I say. Uh-huh. Um, but I think he he didn't he didn't like dissent. He just he eventually didn't like dissent. No dictator does, Kara. But they all agreed with him. I remember Cheryl one time said to me, like, oh, we've all been together 10 years and we get along so well. And I was like, is that a good thing? Mm. Like, I never think it's a good thing for for companies not to have dissent internally. And so everybody's fortunes are linked to um, to 
getting along and especially pleasing him. And even if he doesn't mean to do it, and I don't think he, unlike Elon, I think Elon needs attention almost constantly. You can see it even when he was walking out of a trial the other day. How'd I do? Like, oh my God, that is so pathetic. Like from the reporters hanging outside. Um, Mark doesn't need that kind of, uh, you know, he's got a very loving family. He's got, um, you know, but he just, but, but you're around people who you're all in agreement. And so where's the, where's the push when things are problematic? No one's going to say, oh, the privacy thing, maybe we should do something about it. And I think if you're an adult, you want that. We'll be back in a minute. Support for this show comes from NetSuite. People say perfect is the enemy of good, but simple is everyone's best friend. Because when something is simple and easy, it tends to work out for the best. And NetSuite wants to provide products and services tailor-made for your business. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash on, netsuite.com slash on, netsuite.com slash on. Support for On with Kara Swisher comes from NerdWallet. You don't have to be a genius to start making better financial decisions today. It's not that sexy, but piling up lots of little monetary victories today can yield some pretty significant rewards down the line. The tricky part is knowing where to start. NerdWallet can help. Their financial experts have helped countless people find new ways to maximize every dollar they earn. Now the team is helping folks get more from every dollar they spend. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credits side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering up to 10 times the points on every dollar you charge. Their expert team of nerds did the work reviewing top credit cards so you can trust that you have the smartest one for future you. If I had better rewards right now, I would probably travel to Hawaii and be sitting on a beach and not talking into this microphone right now. I would be enjoying a Mai Tai, possibly swimming, doubtful I would be surfing, but I would spend them all there. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. In 2012, Facebook went public. You covered that for uh, All Things D. And you're pretty complimentary about Mark then. You, you were predicting an overhyped valuation. You noted he wasn't like blabby like mm-hmm. Groupon or others were. And you talked about how he had been patient in growing his business. He did. Um, about how he was insistent about conducting the IPO with deliberation and care. Mm-hmm. Were you hopeful or hopeless about Mark and Facebook then? 
I, I had first thought that first valuation for Microsoft was insane, but you know, that was crazy. It was 15 billion for some reason. It sticks in my head, but those were crazy numbers at the time. And they weren't, you know, now it's like a nothing burger, but once you could see him building it slowly, he was a quite a good operator and not every founder is a good operator. Bill Gates was the comparison I made with him. Um, nice, a nicer Bill Gates, essentially. Bill Gates was not a very nice person when he was CEO. He was just very careful and he wasn't showy like the others. And all, a million of them were more showy and they didn't mm -hmm. do as well as he did. And he picked Cheryl and he picked, the executives were really competent. You could feel the competence off of them. And I thought he built a nice team. I just didn't think he had built a team with enough people to push back on him. And then he started to shed those people, including me, including me. Including you. We'll get to that. Um, shortly after the IPO, Facebook really swells. They passed a billion monthly active users in 2012. They go on a buying spree. They already had Instagram, but they eat up Oculus and WhatsApp. They try to buy Snap. Um, and things seem to be going swimmingly for the most part until the 2016 elections. We're going to get to Cambridge Analytica revelations, which come later, but First, talk about 2016 itself, because right after the election, Facebook is called out for misinformation, and Mark kind of shrugged it off. He did. He said, I think the idea that fake news on Facebook influenced the election in any way is a pretty crazy idea. And then BuzzFeed just followed up, I think, less than a week later when they had their big investigative team, showing that false news stories actually outperformed real news stories. Yeah, it was in real time, because when he said, he said nothing. It was on stage with David Kirkpatrick. I remember that. And I think I emailed or texted him and, and Cheryl. And I said, nothing? Where are you coming up with that number? Don't say nothing uh -huh. if you don't know. And and I had a lot of discussions, especially with Cheryl about this, uh, because they kept he kept walking it back. I'm like, if you don't know, stop talking, yeah. because I think you don't know. And again, it showed that they weren't managing the business. They were sloppy managers of the business. Um, and, you know, and also it got sucked up into a media cycle, because I think some of it was overblown, no question, some of the reporting on Cambridge Analytica. But directionally, 100% correct. In the next two years, we kind of have a couple big revelations. In 2017, we learn about the foreign interference in the presidential election, right? The mm -hmm. huge volume of Russian interference on Facebook and other platforms. And then in early 2018, there's this explosive expose on Cambridge Analytica. Mm -hmm. So we learned that this British consulting firm, this political consulting firm, bought personal data that had been harvested from tens of millions of Facebook users and used it to micro-target ads for Trump, as well as for campaigns like Brexit. How did you think Mark handled that? Because it had been built on a kind of bad stack. Well, he handled it like an engineer, right? Look, it wasn't as big as everybody said, but it was also not as little as he tried to make it, right? The roots were farther back when he allowed all kinds of developers, third-party developers on the platform. That yeah. was always, I always had an issue. He did it at one of his F whatever, aid or whatever they called them. Um, he had these meetings with developers. And I used to think some of these developers are kind of sketchy. Why are they getting all this information? And he cut that off at some point, but it was always a, a real problem. And he was never caring about it, right? And so you'd be like, well, who are you giving information to? How are you managing the information? And I think that's what was really at the heart of this. You know, he, he definitely tried to get off the developers, but the instinct was to give away information to make money. Uh, it was important for them to make the platform bigger, to have game players, whatever. Yeah. Remember they had everybody They had on a there. big open, that was the whole thing, open graph in yeah. 2010. It was and always they, like, wow, you've left all the doors open to this place with no keys. Well, they tried to clean it up in 2014, but they didn't do it retroactively. Well, that was in their self-interest. Yes, but that was in their self-interest because they wanted to own it all. In March of 2018, he goes on a kind of apology tour for Cambridge Analytica, which is very different than the listening tour he went to in 2017, where people thought he was going to run for president. That was funny. Yeah. 
Um, but he, you got an interview with him late, but you got it. <laughs> yeah, I did. It's only 20 minutes. It's on the phone on the way to him going to an employee Q&A. That's correct. And we don't have the audio, but the transcript really struck me because you start the interview abruptly and you say, as you know from us emailing, I'm very interested in tough, substantive discussions and questions about this. So that's why I've been so adamant. Let's just get started. I'm interpreting your, how you'd read it. Adamant. It was a word for pissed. Because what they did is they went around real reporters and gave them to much easier reporters. I don't know mm-hmm. how else to say it. But they did that a lot. They started to do this a lot. They didn't want to answer tough questions. And so they gave all these kiss-ass interviews, you know. And and I was furious because we were really doing a good job covering it. I thought we were very responsible on the Cambridge Analytica stuff. I don't think we went off, the, you know, we didn't accuse them of being Satan or things like that. And so I called, I think it was Rachel Whetstone. I was like, what the fuck? What the living fuck are you doing? You're not giving us an interview. And we were at one of the leading news sources here. Mm -hmm. And so I was pissed. And so I emailed him. I'm like, we want to do substantive thing and you want to do light and this is important. And so I I kind of bullied him into doing it. (laughs) But he should have. He should. It was a good interview, by the way. It It was was a good interview. It was the best interview of all those interviews, too, because I pushed him. In just 20 minutes with you and Kurt Wagner. And he kind of gave you the same, we're a small company and I'm just too idealistic defense that we kind of get. You were not buying the Kool-Aid. No. I was not. A couple months later, after Mark goes for those awkward congressional testimonies in which he's either kind of grilled by the Senate or bear hugged by geriatric members of the House whose grandkids love Facebook, um, you sit with him for over an hour. This is July of 2018. Mm. I'm surprised he came back. How did you negotiate that interview? Uh, again, it was Rachel Whetstone, <laughs> who's now at Netflix, <laughs> who probably regrets that one. Um, you know, I think she was smart. She wanted to get him out there. I think she had a lot of regard for him. And Mark is mm-hmm. a lot smart. You know, he has trouble with me and some reporters. And so yeah. she wanted to show that he could. And he won. I think he did. And we did this interview out at Facebook headquarters. And it did not go well for him. Did not go well. We'll get to the part that really didn't go well. But first, you asked him about Cambridge Analytica, Russian interference. And he said something that stood out to me. Um, Let's play a clip. In retrospect, I do think it's fair to say that we were overly idealistic and focused on more of the good parts of what connecting people and giving people a Mm -hmm. voice can bring. And I think now we understand that given where we are, Mm -hmm. right, both the centrality of Facebook, but also, frankly, we're a we're a profitable enough company to have 20,000 people go work on reviewing content. So I think mm-hmm. that that means that we have a responsibility to go do that. Oh, So idealistic. I was too oh, idealistic. We've made like a, a toxic waste dump. Maybe we should clean it up. Like, and, and he had a lot of money at this point. Of course he did. He should have done it from the beginning. This is something I've been in a constant fight with Facebook about, whether it was Facebook Live. Like, why don't you put Tools in from the beginning, safety tools. Safety yeah. was never their first interest, ever. It's not idealistic. I, that's the that drove me crazy. It's just, yeah, that's it just was, a cloak, right? I think so. I think it was just ridiculous. It happened too many times from way back in Beacon days. It happened so much that at some point, like, are you stupid or are you doing this on purpose? So that's the thing. You keep pushing him on, like, how did you not foresee? Like, mm-hmm. you build things. Consequences you build things. was my themes. Yes. And, and 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 yet he kind of kept saying, mm-hmm. what, me? Uh-huh. Uh, we're just too uh-huh. realistic. We're just a small company, uh-huh. right? This, meanwhile, he's been meeting with world leaders for years now. He's a very famous, I mean, rich person. People a I year just, before thought he was going to run for president. That's right. Uh, when he went on his weird tour. Yeah. yeah, his weird tour. He was shooting Buffalo, if you remember. He was driving around in a car with Mayor Pete. Yeah. South Bend, the Indiana. Buffalo. I'll never forget that he gave to oh, Cheryl yeah. the Buffalo. <laughs> and he went to see these families who were like, I'd vote for Mark. Yeah. It was... 
It was the adventure of Mark Zuckerberg. But the 2018 interview did not go well for him. And let's talk about why it didn't go well. Um, The one comment he made that got to headlines, this is you're asking him about Sandy Hook. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to talk about Alex Jones, right. And he brings up something completely unexpected. Agreed. Let's play a clip. Sandy Hook didn't happen is not a debate. It is false. You can't just take that down. I agree that it is false. Um, And and I also think that going to someone who is a victim Mm -hmm. um, of Sandy Hook and telling them, hey, no, you're a liar, Mm -hmm. um, that is harassment and we actually will take that down. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, you know, I mean, let's let's take this this a little closer to home, right? So I'm Jewish Mm -hmm. um, and there's a set of people who uh, deny that the Holocaust happened, right? I find that deeply offensive. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I, I don't believe that our platform should take that down because I think that there are things that different people get wrong. Um, either, I, I don't think that they're intentionally getting it wrong, but I think that In they... In case of a Holocaust um, deniers, they might be, but go um, ahead. It's, it's hard to yeah. impugn intent um, mm-hmm. and to understand the intent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think for as abhorrent as some of those examples are, I think the reality is also that... Um, I get things wrong when I speak publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you do. I'm sure a lot of leaders and, and public figures who we respect do too. And I just don't think that it is the right thing to say we are going to take someone off the platform if they get things wrong um, even multiple times. Oh, gosh. Oof. Was that bad? It is bad now. Yeah, it's bad now. I listened to it. I'm like, oh, good God, Mark. Um, yeah. After the interview, he clarified the comments. He He said... He finds Holocaust denial deeply offensive and, quote, he didn't intend to defend the intent of people who deny that. I think he said both those things. But what were you thinking as he said that? Well, it was an interesting moment as a reporter because I usually was like, what the fuck? I, yeah. My answer would I said, but go ahead. Do you see how I said that? Yeah. Because I couldn't believe he was going to Holocaust. That's your favorite like, thing to don't. say, by the way, but go ahead. But go ahead. Um in that case, I was I couldn't believe he said it. I couldn't believe, first of all, I couldn't believe he was going to the Holocaust because I thought, oh, no, no, no. And don't do the I'm Jewish because, and I, so therefore. That was, he was trying to say, mm-hmm. me of all people should be more, I think we all should be offended by the Holocaust, but th- fine, great, okay. But then he sort of was like essentially saying, well, I don't think they intentionally get it wrong. And that was like, what? So here he is letting these people game him over and over and over again and pretending they just are getting it wrong. They're not getting it wrong. They're purposely and viciously, and they're they're, they're stone-cold anti-Semites and they have no business on this platform. They're trying to sow harm. Yes, exactly. Just so they could say their piece. Well, we know they hate Jewish people. Thank you. That's That's been very clear for many right. centuries. I just was sort of like, uh, we and, and I looked at Eric. Uh, Eric Johnson, your former producer, right? Yes, Eric Johnson. And I looked at him and he looked at me and for some reason they didn't understand what he had just said. And we were like, let's get it up before they figure out what they just said. Because I couldn't believe he said it, but it was such an insight that he really, he actually believed it. I was so, sh- I wasn't shocked, but I was, I was like, oh no, the, here's the person running this site. And they really think people just get it wrong and not that they're bad players or anything else. It was a real moment. That was a real moment in that interview. So that's why I was quiet. Uh, Because I wanted you to understand his point of view. Mm -hmm. And he there was nowhere for him to hide because I wasn't haranguing him. I wasn't peppering him. I just let him say it. And it was so clear what he said. And, you know, I'll have to clarify it. He didn't need to clarify it. That's what he thought. And I wanted people to see it just the way it was. And And he didn't break a sweat. 
didn't break a sweat. He, he said what he meant. Yeah. It took two years for Facebook to ban Holocaust denial posts after that conversation, more than two years, like <laughs> until October 2020. Alex Stamos, who was the former chief security officer at Facebook, told you in an interview on our old show that the attention from your conversation with Mark probably delayed him in reversing the decision, that he dug in his heels. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's true? And what does that say about Mark? He doesn't want to be, he doesn't have other people telling him he's wrong. He doesn't have the foresight to say, oh my God, what did I do? Again, he doesn't think he's powerful. It's powerful people who pretend they're not powerful, like super powerful people with Uh implications of what they do. And somehow it was my fault, what he thought. I'm sure that's what happened. And then of course he changed his mind two years later, all the damage that it did. And he came to the same place that I told him he was going to be at. I, I felt like his parent at that point, like, what the hell are you thinking? Like, that means what, that Sheryl Sandberg was your oldest child. <laughs> no, she wasn't. <laughs> uh, before we continue the analogy, how did that interview change your relationship with Mark, with the company? Um, because, you know, mm-hmm. I've been we've been working together, you and I, Kara, for three years mm-hmm. now, I think, almost. Mm-hmm. And we ain't getting any Mark Zuckerberg interviews. We're not interviews. getting Mark Zuckerberg. Never again. Or any other executives. I mean, I think they maybe, maybe Nick one day will come. Never He's again. used to the British press. But I don't know. How did the interview change that relationship? Never getting an interview again. Never, never, anywhere. It was my fault that he said what he thought. I, you know what I mean? Like I somehow used my ma- magical powers of interview to get it out of him. I didn't. He, he told the truth. And yeah. that was a problem. That was a problem for them. And so, you know, I then got very, very angry about what was happening because they just wouldn't listen. I started to be much more critical around Trump. I had started, uh, I, I was, I had already been critical about when they got, went and sucked up Trump after he won. And I, I, they thought I was hostile to the company when in fact, I, if you look back at my stuff, it's not hostile. If you, I'm just like, this is going to end badly, may I just say. And I, I even... I did predict what Trump was going to do around January 6th. I said he's going to lie about the election. And they just, they, I remember writing a comment. I got a, I got put, how dare you say this? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, all right, fine. What is Mark's Achilles heel as an interviewee? Normally, I don't want to tip off potential guests to their vulnerabilities. No, but I'm never going to interview him again. So, so, chance. so tell all, Kara, what, what um, does he do? I, I think now, I think he still is the same kid I met back then. That's mm-hmm. the thing is he's not any smarter or more. He's got more training, but it's very easy to um, go past his talking point. He's not very good at talking points. Um, and I think he wants to, you know, it sounds like dumb. You remember that scene in uh, A Few Good Men? Yeah. I think he wants to say it, like uh, the, at the last thing. Like yeah. t- he, t- wants he, he wants to say he did the code red. Right. And that's what it is. He really wants to say it. And so- So it's hubris. Uh, no, I think he's like, I I have something to say. He he. And he's gotten a lot of shit. Let me just say, he's gotten probably more shit than any executive. And he's become the villain in a way that he doesn't deserve in many ways. But he's got, um, I think he really, um, I I honestly think he wants to say it. And so I provide a situation where he gets to say it. And he, he, sometimes he wants, in Mark's case, I don't think it's the case. Some of these people try to see if they can beat me which yeah. is ridiculous. I mean, I won already if that's the if that's what they're doing. And um and so I, I don't think that's it. It's just he's 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 constitutionally unable not to say what he thinks. And yeah. so that's what happens in interviews with me. And he gets nervous. And so that's another thing. And he doesn't now he's a, you know, he's a titan of industry. He doesn't want to look like he's weak in any way. We'll be back in a minute.
Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Travel can be stressful. I don't think that's a controversial take. Sure, we all love taking a vacation and that moment we finally get a chance to relax, but we're always so focused on the destination that the journey just feels like a means to an end. Well, what if it wasn't? What if the time you spent getting there was just as enjoyable as the vacation itself? That's what Virgin Atlantic believes. That's why they offer loads of special extra touches that make your trip one to remember for all the best reasons. Picture this, you've made it to the airport, checked in your bags, and finally have a moment to settle in before takeoff. If you're flying upper class, you could be putting your feet up in a Virgin Atlantic clubhouse at London Heathrow with food made fresh to order and champagne delivered straight to your table with a tap of a QR code. I mean, it's rude not to, right? Once you're in the air, the experience continues with deliciously different dining, seriously comfy seats, and the best crew in the sky by miles. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip and see the world differently. Support for this show comes from Ramp. Are you overwhelmed with managing your business expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? Is your finance software just not cutting it? Or maybe you're just looking to cut all that wasteful spending. Ramp could be a total game changer for you and your business. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Plus, Ramp is easy to use. You can get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. Not only that, but Ramp can save you money. They estimated that businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. And now you can get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash Kara, ramp.com slash Kara, R-A-M-P dot com slash Kara. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. The other day you talked to me about a time where Mark used to listen. You said you said that was back when Mark used to listen. Yeah. What did you mean by that? Oh, he'd call me up at night. You know, he'd, he would write these long, long essays about community. He did one that was like 26 pages long. And I think the first oh, thing he was, and he wanted to know what I thought, which was interesting. And he... Um, so he was inviting critique and so Oh, yeah. Way. No, he wanted yeah. to engage. He found other people to engage with that weren't so, quite so critical. And I, the first thing I said is, I really think you need an editor. You know, like, this is just <laughs> ridiculous. Like, it was so long and not badly written. It just needed an editor. Like, it, it wasn't clear. And... And he's like, oh, everyone else likes it. I'm like, yeah, of course they do, Mark. Like, but it's too long and it's not clear. And and he also had a lot of stuff about this community and these lofty ideas that were just not true. Yeah. Um, and and so we talked a lot. We talked a lot about that idea. And, uh, you know, we talked about a lot of things for a long time. And I just think he just, it didn't, I probably was too critical for him. And I thought that helped him, but you know, I, I didn't. I didn't want to be his friend. I'm not his friend. And he thought, asked me what I thought, and I told him. I think I think you have a way too powerful platform here, and I think you need to understand your responsibility to it and the people that you serve. Mark gave a commencement speech at, back in his heyday of 2017 at Harvard, um, that peak year when he was going on that political tour with the cattle when he was meeting all the cows. Yeah, all the cows. Yeah. And here's what he said in the commencement speech: Be prepared to be misunderstood. Anyone working on a big vision is going to get called crazy, even if you end up right. Anyone taking on a complex problem 
is going to get blamed for not fully understanding it, even though it's impossible to know everything up front. Anyone taking initiative will always get criticized for moving too fast because there's always someone who wants to slow you down. In our society, we often don't take on big things because we're so afraid of making mistakes that we ignore all the things wrong today if we do nothing. The reality is, anything we do today is going to have some issues in the future. But that can't stop us from getting started. Oh, there's so much wrong in that statement. <laughs> I can't even tell you. You know, everyone's wrong but me. I'm an aggrieved citizen. It is so tip. That is he. That is absolutely the distillation of the attitude of people in Silicon Valley. Is we were, you know, if you get in our way, girls or you know, mean ladies like Kara, anyone that you disagrees. don't understand anyone that disagrees. And by the way, let me just tell you. Guess who disagreed with Mark? People who he bought companies from and who do not like him, I would who say. Who left him, Brian left the Acton company. from WhatsApp. WhatsApp, Instagram, Systrom, and Mike Krieger. Uh, you know, I just am like, is everybody wrong? Is everybody who says just a second wrong? Roger McNamee was another one. His big um, advisor. Yes. Chris Hughes spoke Chris, out about him in a piece yes, with Times. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like I'm listening to Peter Thiel and Mark, uh, I mean, an unholy alliance of Peter Thiel and Mark Andreessen. And it's really <laughs> they disappointing. They made Because, by the way, Mark's a better person than either of those two every day of the week and twice on Sunday. That's the problem. A better person, a better citizen of the United States and, and the world. And it's sad that this is the influence. This is what happens to someone like him because he's actually, again, a good guy. I I'm going to say it over and over again. Do you think he's misunderstood? No. Or do you think he misunderstands? I think he's totally understood. Hmm. I think he's totally understood. And he just doesn't like it. Um, and that's my that's the issue. When you joined the Times in 2018, you started you you wrote a lot about him mm -hmm. before, but you became you were an opinion writer. It's why I joined the Times, and you wrote a lot about him. I'm going to ask you to read some of these headlines. So let me just say the very first one was the most critical one, which was which was the expensive education of Mark Zuckerberg. That was the most direct I was trying to do. That's Fall why I, 2018. If, I, if I had stopped doing Times columns for that, it would have been good because that's what I wanted to say that he would that he, they had amplified and weaponized information. And this guy is at the center of it. And it was, we, the expense of education was not that it cost him a lot, it cost us a lot. Society a lot. Same thing with the Holocaust. That's what I, that's what I was talking yep. about. So I later wrote a wise man leaves Facebook about Kevin Systrom, lean out, Mark Zuckerberg, let me fix that op-ed you wrote, which was a ridiculous piece about the first amendment, I think. Uh, I wrote about Facebook's biblically bad week, I wrote, clean up your act, Facebook, or we're leaving. I wrote, Zuckerberg never fails to disappoint. I wrote, the terrible cost of Mark Zuckerberg's naivete. And I wrote, the endless Facebook apology. It kind of comes full circle. That's just, by the way, a small sampling, Kara. Just some of my favorites. So the hits. Lean Out is probably my favorite. That was kind of about how Cheryl got thrown under the bus. Yeah, for yeah. She, got, listen, she has plenty of responsibility. Let me just say, people always say I'm too nice to her. She has plenty of responsibility. But nonetheless, guess who can't be fired? Yeah, the CEO bitch. That one. That's right. That guy. Yeah. That guy. Um, so you've been critical. But what mm -hmm. has Mark done well in all this time? I think it's a. I think it's well built. The service is well built. I think the idea of it is great. I think mm -hmm. he handles layoffs beautifully. Like recently, he showed a lot of class. Um, I think in part he's right about Apple's power, but the way he does it, I don't agree with. He shouldn't have yeah. put himself in that situation to start with. Um, I, I think he means well. Like you're not going to see him 
tweeting all sorts of nonsense that Elon does. And Jeff Bezos sometimes too, right? Every now and you're like, oh, shut up. You know, like, stop talking. You don't see that. Um, I think he actually does care for the product. He's a real product guy. And I mm-hmm. I don't know if he's the most creative person, like, in the world. I When you look at the metaverse stuff, you're like, oh, no, 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 sir. Yeah. Um, he doesn't mind being wrong, but he never says he's wrong, right? That's the thing. <laughs> like, he, he won't shift. Um and he's slow so, to shift. Yes, he's slow to shift. I don't think he'll ever say it, but I think he does see threats. I, I like that about him. He's competitive about TikTok, whoever's mm-hmm. coming. Um, it tends to make him want to copy things. I used to call them shoplifters at Facebook. or yeah. <laughs> So that I don't love. But, you know, there's a lot of non-creative. Bill Gates was not okay. very creative. The question was so. what you thought he did well, Kara, but you, you answered that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all a lot those of things. things. A lot of things. Um, Someone once described, uh, someone who knows Peter Thiel well, described Peter Thiel to me as being driven by two principles, one, loyalty, and two, contrarianism. Mm-hmm. What do you think Mark Zuckerberg's guiding principles are, if you had to analyze from your reporting? I think he doesn't mind there being collateral damage to the things he does. Think of Augustus Caesar. You know, mm-hmm. like, well, we got democracy. A lot of people died. Like, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So big picture oriented would big be the... Big picture oriented. I think big picture, he's right. Small picture, some of the execution's been bad. Um, and he tries things, you know. He tried the, that phone. That yeah, the home. smartphone that came home. and went it's called with home. HTC. He did Libra, the cri- cryptocurrency. Yeah. yeah. So you've seen him experience a lot of failure in those yeah. products. And th- how does Mark deal with that failure from your observation? He moves on. I, I just don't think they're very creative at Facebook. That's all. They got the news feed, right? And that was a while ago. And... Uh, But when you look at a lot of their innovations, they're copied from other people. And so, um, you know, but he moves on. That's great. He's trying things. The metaverse is the first time he's really gone out in a limb by himself on a thing that they're in the front at the front of. So what do you think is driving that his desire? Like, is this like a displacement activity for him where he just wants to get out of this kind of fucked up business? Yeah, I think he wants to get out of the face. That's why he's not making this decision. He's not he doesn't want. Why do you change the name? Yeah. He put on a mustache. It's a new mustache. Yeah. It's still Mark. It's, it's that all came after the whistleblower revelations in mm-hmm. uh, fall of 2021, where Frances Hogan um, released a treasure trove of documents to the journal, et cetera. And she came and talked to us about it on the last show. Um, she didn't work directly with Mark, but she no. observed him in the company. And she describes the obsession with flatness at Facebook. Here she is describing the offices. It's basically an aircraft hangar, um, but they but they do that because like no one is above anyone else, no one is below, right? It's flat, and when you refuse to acknowledge the power exists, you actually end up um, reinforcing like the fact that power isn't flat in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's one of these things where they haven't been able to hit that point of maturation where they say, actually, no, like we have a lot of responsibility here. Yeah, she's right. That's what I've been saying. What do you think it will take for Mark to acknowledge his own power? He won't. Everybody's, you know, everyone's the same. And I'm like, and then they get on the private plane and fly off, right? And they get to make the decisions. It's sort of so... (laughs) they own 90% of the class B shares. Exactly. It just, I don't think they will. I don't think they will. Who do you think he would, uh, who who do you think he likes less, you or Francis Hagen? I don't know. Or who do you think irks him more? Well, I think he, I think he was irked by the coverage of it and probably yeah. got too much coverage, probably. I like Francis, but, you know, I, I think, um, I don't think he dislikes me in his heart. I don't think he's, um, he's not like that. He's not like that. He's he not, just doesn't want to step in it again. Yeah. He probably thinks I'm just, I'm just hostile. I think that's the worst thing he would say about me. Probably. Maybe not. Maybe he's telling people that, that bitch. <laughs> 
I'm CEO bitch. That's the bitch bitch. <laughs> the real bitch. That fucking um, bitch. Okay. But I've been right. So I'm his, I'm your best friend, Mark. That's why I say to Mark, I'm your best fucking friend. That's what I say to you when I disagree with you. I'm your yeah, best friend. I'm your Kara. best friend. <laughs> um, what would redemption look like for Mark Zuckerberg? I assume it's not in the metaverse. I don't know. This metaverse thing, boy, is he going for with the money? And it's not good. It's not going to end well. Can he redeem himself? And Yeah. Bill Gates. Look at Bill Gates. He yeah. was the villain, Darth Vader of that era. And, you know, give except this Epstein situation, which is, of course, a problem. Let's Mark, avoid an Epstein-like situation. <laughs> You'll be fine. He's very happily married and seems very loyal to his wife, Priscilla. Yeah, he is. He is 100%. Um, and his wife is lovely. Mm-hmm. I understand he's a terrific father. Um, so yes, he can give away money and do stuff and we will forget, we will bygones. And by the way, people will do worse. Look at Elon's already sort of like, oh, let's get Mark back because he's at least yeah. we could, he's not a jackass like Elon Musk. And so yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. He can redeem himself. Oh, how they how things have changed in the I know, last couple I, I years know. where Everything you're like, gets... Mark Zuckerberg is great compared to Elon. That was not the case two years he ago is, for you. But he is. Mostly because he's lost power and the company's not as relevant and he's got competition mm-hmm. and he's also not a jerk. So yeah. And yeah. Bill Gates is a good good uh, model for him. In 2018, you asked him who is, he looked up to, his mentors are, and his first person was Bill Gates. And Bill Gates was similarly obtuse to the challenges that Microsoft posed to the world. 100%. And yet after antitrust was able to hand over the reins a little bit. Yeah, he did. And I think he's happier. So do you think that's what it will take for Mark handing over the yeah, reins? The yeah, company? I think he wants to. I have this feeling he's like, I'm trapped here. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and he, maybe he's super interested in metaverse. I don't know how you could be. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's just not. You play a lot not, of video games. You might be interested in metaverse, I guess, by the way. I just don't. It's not where we're going. We're going lots of other places, but not there right now. Uh, I think he probably wants to get out. It must be such a prison. It, it sounds crazy, but I feel like. Where does he, he can't go anywhere. He's so famous. So much security. Like one of the things that he, that I think is unfair and I never do is, remember when he was doing his, his weird um, kiteboarding? I I think that's nice that he does stuff. Like I think he's nice that he does his, his punching stuff. He does all kinds of type. Yeah, he talked to Joe Rogan about yeah, whatever. MMA obsessions. Whatever. I yeah. think that's great. But when people make fun of his looks, it drives me crazy. Uh, you know, his haircut or when he was wearing um, the correct kind of sunscreen, I think that was really irritating. I don't think that's fair. I, yeah. I find that I think that's not nice. So. It's not nice. Last question. Yeah. What would be your first question in an interview with Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, what's new? I'd start in the metaverse. I'd start talking about the, meta- the future. I don't want to relitigate all the stuff that I was 100% right about, but... Um, uh, I would start to talk about what his vision is now and why he's still doing it. Why are you doing this? I don't understand personally why you're doing this. So I'd like you to explain to me why you're doing it. I hope you get to ask that question. I will not. I will we will not. try adamantly. Never. Be adamant. Never unless we're caught in an elevator together by accident and then <laughs> and it, it breaks down. You know, a broken elevator. That's us producers could arrange that. No. Not with a security team. Happen. All right. Miss you, Mark. Big hug. (laughs) You think he'll listen? I don't know. Probably not. Someone will. Eh. Someone over at Benda Park will. Andy Stone. Hey, Andy. Hi, Andy. Make it so. (laughs) Don't you have any juice, Andy? Nick, don't you people have juice? I guess not. Turns Uh, out you don't. (laughs) 
come on the show. All right. Thanks, Carrie. Do you want to read us out or shall I? Uh, I shall do it. Today's show was produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Schick, Kristen Castro-Rosell, Rafaela Seward, and Megan Burney. Special thanks to Haley Milliken and Aaliyah Jackson. Our engineers are Fernando Aruda and Rick Kwan. Our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following the show, you get a front row seat at the cage match. If not, you get a front row seat at the cage match. Go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On with Kara Swisher and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. We'll be back on Thursday with more. 